from Relay FM. This is download recorded Thursday, January 25th, 2018. This is episode 39, Vulnerable to Stickups. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, and I'm joined this week by a returning guest and a brand new Download guest. Let's start with a newbie, uh, but he should be familiar to you if you've read his stuff on Macworld, you've listened to his podcast, you've read Kirkville, his blog. It's Kirk McElhern. Kirk, welcome to Download. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you, and uh, and I think we'll be gentle. It'll all be good. Download is a friendly show, as Lisa Schmeiser editor at IT Pro Today can attest. She's been on many times. Hi, Lisa. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? If it's retail, I've got to be here, right? I, well, we were looking for our second <laughs> guest after thinking with the HomePod, we wanted to talk to Kirk. And and Stephen Hackett was like, oh, Lisa. I'm like, yeah, uh, you're right. Oh, so, Stephen, uh, thank you. It's so nice. And I'm so excited. To, I'm so excited to, to talk to Kurt, too. I've, I've followed his byline for years. Oh, thank you. Of course, Stephen Hackett is the download producer, as always, and, and is uh, behind the scenes pushing all the buttons to make the right. show actually happen. Bringing people together really is how I view it, Jason. That's good. Bringing people together. That's beautiful. Uh, I will. Uh, we'll, should put that on your uh, on your resume. I bring there people together. It could be the tagline. <laughs> Do resumes have taglines? I don't know. I haven't applied for a job in a very long time. Uh, let's get to it. The most interesting stories of the week, as Stephen and I have chosen and laid out for our guests to talk about. Topic number one is the HomePod, which was announced by Apple. Oh. <laughs> seven months ago and is finally going to ship uh pre-orders will happen on january 26 it'll be shipping in a couple of weeks it's a uh 349 smart speaker powered by siri streams from apple music um it if you're if the user that sets up the the home pod leaves with their phone apparently it's less capable at that point which is a little weird there are a lot of details that are coming out a lot of things we don't know since there really hasn't been a whole lot of hands-on with the product uh if any as it has finally existed when we saw it last june we weren't able to touch it only listen to it you could barely look at it don't even don't even look at it just listen (laughs) do not Um, taunt the happy fun ball it was yeah it was pretty much like this is not done just listen to the speakers and so we don't know a lot there are a lot of details that are slowly kind of coming out as as we get closer to release date um apple dropped uh, some of its previously announced features they they say they're coming later this year but originally the homepod was going to have multi-room support so you could put a couple of these home pods in different rooms and they would sync up the music so as you walked from one room to another the music would just continue to flow or you could put two of them in corners of your room and turn it into a stereo sound field because the individual home pod is basically it's got lots of speakers and it does a lot of effects but it's it's using a mono signal it's work it works with english only i'm just trying, trying to do all the footnotes here <laughs> english only it's only going to start in the u.s the uk and australia germany and france will be later this year so that's home pod it's actually going to really really for sure be shipping on february 9th so uh kirk i'll start with you you've written a lot about itunes you've written a lot about music and i know you care about music we talk a lot about smart speakers and things on this show and we're talking about like the battle of the virtual assistants the 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 spoken voice controlled assistants and that's part of the story here but homepod is different in that apple has said look this is a music product first and foremost it's a music player so is that smart for apple to do to set that expectation like 
like, look, this is a product that's focused on music and, and judge us as that. And don't judge us as a, uh, you know, $69 Amazon Echo. What do you think? Well, uh, Apple is always trying to differentiate itself on the high end. And it's obvious that they couldn't come out with a $69 um, Siri speaker. No one would like that. And anyway, if you have an iPhone, you already have uh, an $800 or (laughs) $1,000 Siri speaker. Yeah. Um, the, the music stuff is interesting because we're talking about a single mono speaker at $350, which while I'm sure it's going to sound better than most mono speakers, that's a really expensive price. Um, in a market where most people don't really care that much about sound quality, they, they get by with Bluetooth speakers that are 20 or 30 or $50. Um, you, you mentioned that one of the big features isn't going to be available on launch and that stereo pairing. And that would be interesting to make it a mini sound system, but you're already talking $700 for that. I know. I, um, I, so, so I'm having a real difficulty wrapping my head around mm-hmm. who is going to buy this. Yeah, I think that's the, the a big question is, is I don't think that you can just wave away the people who are interested in better quality sound, because I do think there is a market for that. But that's a smaller market. And the fact that people play music without really thinking from something like an Amazon Echo shows you that a lot of people just kind of don't, don't it, it doesn't bother them. So this seems like it's already kind of a niche product and then like you said um it's also a mono speaker which i mean they're going to do a lot of processing to make the um the audio sound dimensional but they're they're doing it from a mono base which is kind of weird right so it might be a faux surround mono but it's still mono and uh, you know if you're in a kitchen and you're cooking you don't really care about the sound quality that much but in that case, why are you spending $350 for this right. when you can get something else? Like you can get the Sonos Play 1, um, which Sonos is selling a pair of them for $350. Um, you can get the Play 3, I believe, that is the smaller stereo speaker. It's sort of rectangular or the Play 5, which is larger. And, and they're 250 or $500. I had a Play 5 a few years ago in my bedroom. It's quite large, but the sound is really good and it's mm-hmm. got great stereo separation. So if you go down to the 249 Play 3, you'll have very good sound in stereo, and it works with Alexa. So the differentiator here is Siri versus some other um, virtual assistant. Now, I'm not the guy to talk to about virtual assistants, because when I entrust Siri with something in the oven, it invariably burns, because um, (laughs) the reminder is always like two hours later. Um, Mm -hmm. when I try to set an appointment with Siri, which I did yesterday at the dentist, um, it somehow set it for last year instead of this year. (laughs) Um, so I'm not very, it doesn't like me. With the caveat that I am violently uninterested in digital speakers and home Mm -hmm. audio, what I'm really interested in is the question of whether or not Apple will be able to carve out or get a piece of this market at all. Um, I've read things where they talked about, well, you know, the iPod was not the first MP3 player on the market, you know, and it wasn't. I had like a Nike branded MP3 player before the iPod came out. And they're like, oh, you know, the iPhone wasn't the first smartphone on the market, but they both took off and redefined people's relationships to these technologies and they dominated the niche. And there's a good point with that because what Apple did in both of those cases was define the user experience. But here, um, from what I've seen when reading about this, the user experience seems, frankly, pretty inferior to the experiences that are already available to consumers and that consumers already use and like. Um, 
I'm thinking, for example, of Amazon and the dots. And a striking number of kids in my daughter's first grade class got Amazon dots for Christmas. And they love having them as alarm clocks. They love because they love that they're like six and seven and can set their own alarm clocks just by saying, you know, wake me up at seven tomorrow. And they love that they can sing songs back and forth with it. And they love that they can ask it questions or can tell them jokes. And that is that that's already an experience that's been defined for both that particular user group, but for the wider family and wider consumer base. And when I look at something like um, when I look at something like the HomePod, what I'm wondering is, what is it doing for the user experience that isn't already defined and embraced by people elsewhere? Um, I, I find it kind of, again, like Kirk was saying, Siri is not the greatest. Um, <laughs> there, my, my family has come into the kitchen a lot of times to see me with my watch up to my mouth screaming, Siri, set a timer for five minutes. And then, yeah, that's what, me when I'm cooking too. And then like literally 90 seconds later, because I've timed it like 90 seconds later, they're like, sorry, what was that? And I'm like, you're useless. This, you know, this, this, and this is with like my phone in my back pocket. So it's not like the watch has a whole lot of talking to do. Siri is not that great, especially when compared to uh, the library of skills that Alexa has or um, the integration that Google has been pushing with both in its demos and its product where it's like, oh, it can give you traffic alerts. Oh, it can tell you your appointments and things like that. If I'm going to pay a couple hundred dollars for a very pretty speaker that is tied that is tied in theory to a user account that has data on me. I want to be able to do more than just play music with it. Um, I I don't think this is a particularly compelling product yet. I'm looking forward to seeing how wrong I am or if. <laughs> well, you know, because that's the thing. People like poo pooed the i the iPod for the same reason, and yet look what happened. It took off like crazy. Right. Um, although it, although even there it sort of took off kind of slowly we think back now and it's like it t- it did take a couple iterations before you know when well, they did the windows, took a windows version, version and, of itunes mm-hmm. before it took off yeah and then and then it took then it, it was intensely personal tech like the reason that both the ipod and the iphone took off is it allowed people to you, you had different colors and different configurations and people use them as markers of identity you know oh i have this bright pink ipod because i'm you know amazing and flamboyant or whatever and with something that is largely going to stay in the house you don't have that that mean of means of self-expression and also people's relationships to technology are not what they were when the smartphone came out um our adjustments are different and we've habituated to that so i think what people will be looking for now is is this something where when i talk to it i'll get the results i want and is the sound quality great and will i be able to customize the experience or does this just have an extremely limited skill set that I'm paying three times the price for. Now, Stephen, something that you pointed out that uh, everybody struggles with, but certainly Apple is going to struggle with too, it seems like, is this idea that you've got these devices. Like Apple, for most part, Siri is sort of uh, it lives on the, your device and it comes with you, but this is going to place it firmly in a home. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, wh- you know, it's going to be paired to an Apple ID. And when that person is gone, that phone is gone it seems like it's going to be diminished in a lot of ways because it's relying on its connections there. Uh, you know, I feel like I feel like this is a problem that nobody has really solved yet, which is the idea of multi-voice, multi-user, multi-account support in a home. Because, you know, realistically, an awful lot of homes have more than one person with a, an ID, an Apple or Amazon or Google ID in it, right? <laughs> Right. And well, this is the limitation with Siri now is my daughter will yell something at Siri and then yell at me to yell at Siri, where it's uh, Siri, how many whales are there? And I'm like, Siri is not going to answer you, honey. It's tied to me. (laughs) And um, the other thing. 
Kirk, when you were talking about, well, you could put two um, HomePods in one room and have a stereo experience. And I thought, how long until somebody like makes it Battle of the HomePods, where one person walks by and says, play this, and then a sibling walks by and goes, no, play that. And you've got two HomePods in one room, each of them playing something different. Like the potential to really drive each other crazy via voice-controlled speakers is, is not to be underestimated. But you should be able to play something different in different rooms. Yeah. Uh, but what I don't understand is... If you've set the HomePod to be playing um, on two devices, right? So you've got the multi-room kitchen living room. How easy is it to switch one of the HomePods to play something different when one person in the kitchen wants to listen to something different from one person in the living room? Right. And I've seen those multi-room interfaces. Sonos has that. Uh, The old Logitech Squeezebox had that. And it, it is a challenge user interface wise let alone spoken interface wise to say sort of like can you take me out of that group and let the other speaker keep playing while now you play something different right it gets really complicated really fast it when you when you get down to that level yeah you you also raise another um, thing, and this has come up with smart homes, and I've heard this anecdotally from people all over the place, because there are folks who control their garage door opener through Alexa, or like you said, there are people who, multiple households. Um, I've heard of cases where, where people have like the babysitter come over, and the kids like play music, and the babysitter is unable to do anything because they're not recognized um, uh. as, as a user. And I think one of the considerations with anything like this, where it's a voice activated system that's tied to specific users, is this works under the assumption the user is always going to be accessible to other members of the family who do or don't have the same privileges. And that's not how family life works. That's not even how like cohabitation works. Yeah. Um, can you imagine if only one partner has voice access to this thing? So you're home, you're chopping something in the kitchen, you're like, hey, play me my, my, my tunes. And no, it's not, it doesn't recognize you. It's not set up for you or what have you. How irritating is that going to be? Or you, the, the alternative is that you let everybody do that, at which point people are uh, deleting your calendar events or putting things on your calendar events or yeah. doing other things that, or I mean, I have this where my daughter appeared to be at some point logged into my Apple Music instead of her own on the family account. And I started getting these music recommendations. I'm like, what is happening? And it completely blew my music recommendations because she was listening to stuff that I wouldn't listen to. But you know, in a in a shared setting, this is going to happen. It's the same reason that we had this issue with like the uh, the Amazon Echoes. Like, what calendars do you put on them, and how do you access those? Because it wants you to log into an account. It's mm-hmm. it, it's you know, yeah. nobody has a solution here. I'm just saying Apple now is open to the same amount of pain as as, as the others. And to back up to back up one second, I think we glossed over one thing the the home pod is for all the siri kit stuff so talking with your apps and calendars and everything uh sending messages that is all dependent on like the sort of the the owner's iphone right being there right because siri kit doesn't run on the home pod siri kit runs on apps that are on your iphone as opposed to the and the echo has very limited calendar and personal data support google home has more but that stuff is all the device talking to the cloud and apple Apple wants the phone to be in the middle, just like it does with the watch. The Apple Watch really doesn't survive on its own very well. It it needs uh, the phone there for a lot of things. And so this is a different approach for, because Apple is still so phone-centric. 
If you lose your phone, then you're hosed. Well, I mean, you rep- you you would repair and reconnect, and it would be fine. But you wouldn't get access to all of like if your if your phone's not around, it can't look at the apps on your phone and have your the apps on your phone bring data back. The advantage to the cloud, though, is you can access it from any one of a number of devices because it's right. device independent, right? And the problem with tying one piece of hardware to another piece of hardware is if something breaks on that piece of hardware, or that hardware gets stolen, or that hardware gets lost, you've just added another layer of irritation to the replacement problem. Process, right, because all the it's data it's yeah. talking to an app installed on a phone, and and it's worried about. That. I mean, this is this is the 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 knock on the HomePod from the beginning is that SiriKit is first off very limited itself. It, it, you know, there's only so much. It's it's grown, but not a lot since they introduced it a couple of years ago. And the but SiriKit is enabling some things on the HomePod that otherwise would not be available on the HomePod. It, the HomePod can do things by itself with no phones around, but it's a much more limited set you can stream music to a home pod with airplay without a phone so right worst case if the babysitter wants to be able to play music and has an iphone that's entirely possible right right so it'll do that and of course you can you can play apple music whether the 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 master phone is around or not but uh all of these other things that we sort of imagine as being embedded in the device because they are embedded in something like an echo or a google home on the home pod there's a class of that information source that's really like steven said sort of like on on the apple watch especially in the early early days it's not really on the home pod it's sort of being relayed from the phone to the home pod by siri essentially i don't know what what happens if you're playing music on the home pod and someone with the same apple music account starts playing music on a different device now unless you have a family account it'll stop playing on the first one and start playing on the second one my guess it won't my guess is it won't because the home pod is graced in some way but i don't know <laughs> i don't know i, I... I'm trying to figure out what is the compelling reason for buying one of these? Like, what is the reason you would go out and spend the money for it right now? This is one of the things I wanted to ask, actually, more even a little more broadly than that, which is, um, is the very fact that Apple is releasing a product that's in this market that does this enough to create at least somewhat a market for this product if that if you follow me like is the fact that apple is so influential and has so many loyal customers that they release a smart high quality smart home speaker and a bunch of people who would never have bought a sonos suddenly go and buy this thing because it's from apple is that i'm not sure if that's enough to get this started but apple does have that kind of weight that it brings that it brings with it i don't know apple customers also use amazon and google which which often for which offer highly competitive and experiences and competitive both in terms of capability and cost and have existed right i mean like a lot of apple's loyal customers if they were (laughs) interested in getting a home assistant speaker thingy they got one already presumably a lot of them especially with amazon slashing the prices at christmas and prime day and all these things um, you rarely pay full price for that if you're planning ahead. Yeah. So this is the this is the real question I think um, about this product is how big an audience is it? It does give Apple a product in the smart speaker and smart home assistant space. I think it's a I think it's a market that they should have been in like five years ago. Frankly, um, that that this was. But that's the difference between the iPod and the iPhone launches because when the iPod was launched, there were MP3 players, but not many. Um, when the iPhone was launched, there were a couple of smartphones, but not many. Whereas here, Apple's really late to the party. 
and they're trying to catch up by targeting the high end, but I'm not sure the high end really cares about this. I mean, I, I hang out on a forum with some audio files and they're probably all sniffing at this device because, well, A, it's in mono, B, it's not even expensive enough for them, you know, if they're used to spending thousands and thousands for speakers. Yeah, so that, that's, I guess that's the question is, you know, is there a market of people who have never really considered this category? Because we, you know, a lot of people aren't particularly tech focused and they may not have even experienced something like an Amazon Echo or a Google Home and they're, they're a loyal Apple customer and they and they go into an Apple store and they see this thing and they're like, oh, wow, this is, you know, and there will be people who are in the apple ecosystem will say this sounds great i'm an apple music subscriber i'm going to plop this down in my home and i don't need a stereo anymore because i've got this thing i do believe those people exist but the question is is that enough because there are all these other kind of edge markets that seem to have already been taken up and then that brings me to my next question for for you which is is we we would have to assume that this is not apple's only entry in terms of uh smart home assistant hardware, right? I mean, this can't be all. There's got to be another shoe to drop down the road, right? Like if the, the, Because their competitors have multiple products at multiple price points. The Apple TV with a speaker, which would be similar to the Echo Dot in size, but not in price. Right. I mean, Apple's never going to be the low price leader, but, you know, I, I think that is a question of like, what, where does Apple go from here? Because it's late. Does it have more coming or is it late to the party and this is kind of all that it's willing to do? Because like it partnered with Sonos and put Apple Music, Apple Music will play on Sonos, which is really weird. It's the only non-Apple hardware that it'll play on. And that's because Apple kind of didn't, I mean, didn't want to build that product or didn't have it ready to go and wanted to reach that, the you know, reach that connected speaker audience. So, you know, do they have do they have more coming or is this kind of like a half-hearted single attempt but you know i know this is crystal ball stuff but what do you think do you think that this is the first of a wave or do you think this is a one shot i think this is going to be the first of a wave if it's successful if it's not i think it'll just disappear slowly um i think this device market is probably going to change radically we started with this really tall cylindrical amazon device and they're getting smaller and smaller the google rock or whatever it is is kind of small the the echo dot um i don't think the the actual assistant device needs to be very big and the the real question is here again um the difference in the music playing one thing we need to point out is that this only works with apple music it won't play spotify or pandora or right. anything else unless you use airplay However, you can airplay um from your iphone to the device so if you are using spotify so this is requiring an apple user with an iphone and with an Apple Music subscription. Uh-huh. Right. Or or it's just a connected speaker like any other if you're if you're airplane. That's the thing is saying, well, you can use AirPlay for that. Well, that's true, but at that point, there are way better priced options with the similar or or potentially better sound quality that will also let you just connect your phone and play music on them so from your spotify account so uh, that doesn't seem to me to be much of an it's an argument for the device's flexibility but at its core it's an apple music player like that's why you would buy it you 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 would be stupid honestly to buy a home pod if you don't have either a huge library of itunes uh, music purchases or uh, an apple music account because that's that's what it's going to be the best at Kirk, I mean, what's your gut feeling about this thing as a music player, like uh, using your voice to uh, to interface with Apple Music? Do you think it's going to be, you know, I know that you're somebody who, having written about iTunes for a long time, has opinions about sort of Apple's music offerings. Do you think this is going to be, uh, market aside, uh, a good experience to play music? 
Well, I'm trying to figure out how I can make sure that Apple Music plays the 2001 recording by Alfred Brendel of Beethoven's Diabelli Variations and not a different one. So I'm not really the target audience here. The target audience here is play the latest hits, play the barbecue playlist, play Taylor Swift. Um, my iTunes library, I- I've got everything from the Grateful Dead to classical music to um, world music and all that. And if I ask if I ask Siri on my iPhone to play the Grateful Dead, it doesn't play Grateful Dead music that's on my iPhone. It goes to Apple Music and plays it. Um, if I want a specific album... Uh, it's it's just it's going to be impossible to get that to be played um, in, unless you've got a a playlist that you've recorded and named or a specific playlist from a curator that you're following or a hit album. Getting anything else right is going to be just too difficult. Yeah. Well, we will see. I think that this is one of those things where I have the most skepticism about this product than than any Apple product released in a very long time in terms of its success, not necessarily in terms of how it is as a product. It may be a perfectly fine product in the niche that it's sitting in, but it's also got a lot of competition and they've made some interesting decisions and they've deferred a lot of the features and it took a long time to ship it. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, I'd say Siri is so important to Apple in terms of its its ecosystem and its competitive landscape and smart home devices are so important to Apple that I doubt this will be the end of the story, even if it flops, because they got to do something. The question is, like, have, are they making the right decisions? And I think there is a strong argument to be made that we haven't seen a lot of evidence of that in the track record of Siri and in the track record of HomeKit. And maybe things are changing, but the rocky launch of HomePod suggests that this is still an area that Apple is struggling with. So we'll, we will see. Jason, where were you on the Apple? Um, iPod high five. <laughs> well, I've got one on my desk, but the moment it was announced, it was very clear that that was just Steve Jobs being really angry that Bose was man- making a lot of money with the sound dock. And so, <laughs> you know, and the iPod hi fi is actually a great little speaker, which is why it's attached via an aux jack, which, by the way, the HomePod doesn't have. You can't actually use right. an, an analog plug and plug something into it. Um, and, and as a result, I'm still using that as a, an external speaker for my iMac because uh, it sounds great, but it was always over priced for the market that it was in and it very quickly faded away because people didn't even though it sounded good there were a lot of other products that also sounded good and were cheaper that did the same thing and and so it it just sort of died out and there are some echoes of the ipod hi-fi it's not a perfect comparison but it is you know the difference is the ipod hi-fi was about trying to outdo other accessories for apple's products and this is this is actually more cutthroat right because it's up against competitive ecosystems and other companies and it's trying to do the apple version of that so you know apple's got more reason to want it to succeed because even because if it fails they have a lot more to lose than when the ipod hi-fi failed it's interesting that the ipod hi-fi launches at the same price 350 dollars, and that apple called it an audiophile quality system i'm looking at dan frakes mm-hmm. review from 2006 <laughs> Um, he gave it four mice. He liked it. It's a good. I mean, that's that's the always the debate is like there's there's is this a good product and there's is this a product people are going to want to buy and that is something that I think is very comparable with what's going on with the HomePod, which is it may well sound great and be really well integrated with Apple Music and do what Apple says it's designed for very well, and that means that by those standards it's a good product. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a product that anyone should buy or that anyone will buy because market 
market acceptance and what the competitors are doing is like a completely different uh, conversation or at least a mostly different conversation. So, but yeah, iPod Hi-Fi, they're, they're, <laughs> plug them in. It's just a, just a powered speaker at that point. It's, it's fine it, with a, with a dock on top that is useless. Um, I told Steven that uh, at some point somebody should make like 3D print, like um, one of those little dock adapters that just totally covers the dock adapter <laughs> so you can yeah. never see the iPod dock again because I don't need to see it because I have uh, other than my original iPhone I have nothing to plug into it all right um, we have a little more to talk about but I want to tell you about our first sponsor this episode of download is brought to you by text expander from our friends at smile you can communicate smarter with text expander if you've uh, thought about downloading text expander guess what you should do it today because text expander can save your time in a whole lot of different ways um, maybe when you went to a networking event or a conference you met a lot of new people you know that they're worth staying in touch with but there's no way you're going to write each of them a personalized email i'm sorry but it's the truth with text expander you can create a snippet use fill-in fields for the contact name and a custom topic open your email and send your follow-ups in a matter of mi- minutes this is just one way that text expander can send you uh send you home early because you will have saved so much time at your job. You've managed to check in on those valuable new contacts and you didn't have to spend hours in an email program, which nobody wants to do. You can create an entire email reply system with Text Expander. They've got a, uh, you know, a, a setup where you can have a snippet on hand for every type of email you send. You can share that across your organization. There's a, uh, a great crossover with the Drafts app. You can use your snippets and drafts and, uh, and power your productivity inside Drafts as well. If you spend any amount of your day typing, you need Text Expander. It's the smartest way to improve the workflow of your community communications and we've got a deal for you if you go to textexpander.com slash podcast right now you can get 20 percent off your first year just tell them you heard about uh about text expander on download that's textexpander.com slash podcast open it in your web browser now get 20 percent off your first year when you tell them you came from download thank you text expander for supporting download and all of relay fm okay our next topic is Amazon, the Amazon Go store finally opened to the public and not just Amazon employees. They were teasing us for a while. This is the store with no cashiers and no checkout lines. Although there was a line around the block to get into it when it opened, which is, oh, the, uh, oh, the irony. So um, dumb. Shoppers use an app on their phone to scan uh, when they arrive and then they know that you're there. And then there are just cameras and sensors everywhere and basically the store watches you pick things up and put them in your bag and knows what you've got when you walk out the door and you get an email like receipt sent to you when you leave and that's it so um why are they doing this and does it have anything to do (laughs) does it have anything to do with whole foods i mean because the whole foods purchase happened later and so there's this question of like why is amazon lisa tell me why is amazon interested in something like retail i thought amazon's whole point was to destroy retail and brick and mortar everywhere i wouldn't look at it as destroy so much as disrupt (laughs) all right okay (laughs) or transform Mm -hmm. um the thing is, is retail is a means to an end for Amazon. It always has been. The reason they sold books were was originally because books were very easy to package and ship, and it allowed them to build up a uh, data set very quickly that they could then turn around and sell. And it and and Amazon always rolls out its technology, tests it in house first, and then turns around and sells it. It did the same thing with Amazon Web Services. Um, I would not be surprised if at some point they they do make a a similar deal for um, their voice activated technology. And my feeling is with these stores, what they're doing is they're basically proof of concept for frictionless 
in-person commerce, and then they'll turn around and sell them to convenience store chains. Um, and this will, th- this will solve staffing problems. Um, <laughs> And reduce overhead for, for companies that are like, oh my gosh, this way all I have to do is buy the technology and a servicing and maintenance package. Hmm. I don't have to, I don't have to do anything else. I could see, for example, something like, um, a Sheets or a Flying J eventually using this kind of technology. Uh, it would be tremendously compelling because imagine it's 3 a.m. You don't have to actually staff either your convenience store or your gas station. Gas is up the, like buying gasoline is already frictionless. Um, in the sense, you know, with the exception of New Jersey, um, and you Oregon. no longer. Well, no, Oregon. They they started letting it, them pump their own gas only this in, year. Only in rural counties, the most of Oregon still has to also pump, uh, let somebody pump for them, just like New Jersey. Yeah, but the majority of people in this country now have the experience of like driving into a gas station, throwing their credit card into a slot, pumping their gas, and heading off again mm-hmm. without ever having to deal with another human being. If you can do that for convenience stores, which usually have to be staffed and which are vulnerable to all sorts of things like um, stick-ups and things like that, if the convenience stores have no cash and no human beings, the incentive to knock them over goes down tremendously. Um so it's it's easier for uh, it, it's easier for the the the, the constituencies that goes for convenience stores. So I, I think that with these stores, what Amazon is doing is it's is it's it's trying to pilot the next step in low friction, low cost retail, and then it will turn around and sell those systems to all of the retailers who work on razor thin margins and are looking for ways to cut costs while maintaining or increasing sales. And I would also not be surprised if with this technology, they manage to tie it at some point to a map and to alert systems. So, you know, you're driving someplace and an alert pops up on your phone saying, feeling hungry, feeling thirsty. Historically, you buy a La Croix, La Croix, however you pronounce it. Like this time every day, I want to let you know there's a store just two miles away. You could pull over and do your thing. I, um, I think I throw my phone out the window at that point when it does that to me. But uh, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a fair point. Although I will say right now, it's an awful lot of overhead, right? It's a huge amount of cameras. I guess we could expect that over time, the, price, the cost of that stuff goes down. They also do have people there because they have to... First off, they have to card people who are buying beer. Um, and second, you can just walk in without being scanned and steal stuff and run out. So they've got some degree of like p- humans in the building. But is, is Amazon, is that enough of a motivation for Amazon to say, uh, you know, we want to come up with a technology stack that the, that the, that fi- Flying J can use? Or are they thinking about, are they thinking about Whole Foods? Or is that too Whole far? Foods? So with retail, you have a couple different models and experiences. For example, there's the Home Depot model where there's very lean staffing. They're trying to push you now towards self-checkout. And in exchange, what you get is a is a really sweet price tag, right? You know, you go in there and um you know you can buy a flat of pot of, you can buy a flat of like impatience for less than ten dollars. You check yourself out, boom, you're in and out, nobody gets hurt. But it's a really frustrating experience <laughs> if you don't know what you're doing or you don't know where a specific product is and you don't have a lot of time. Um which is why and how specialty hardware stores are still doing okay, um, or specialty builder stores is they have a more intensive hands-on experience. They're more helpful. They're more palatable to the customer. You do see a difference in the price. 
with Amazon's purchase of Whole Foods, this has effectively given them like a retail stack, as it were, because they can they can look at doing shops that are fairly frictionless, with the exception of like your security and scanning personnel and a few people who like make sandwiches for show. They've got Whole Foods, which is still pretty high touch. But what they can do is they can experiment to see where high touch results in higher sales without a significant impact on price. And they can see what they can streamline at Whole Foods so that they can justify the ongoing existence of the high touch person in your cheese shop or behind your butcher counter or as your fishmonger or things like that. Hmm. Um, they're not going to turn Whole Foods into like the Home Depot of, of high end organic grocery. I mean, half of like a lot of Whole Foods compelling reason for shopping comes from people who are really critical of food providence and food quality. And they're used to being able to have a a level of customer service that goes along with justifying their selections and the price for their selections. I don't think Amazon's going to throw that away. But what they will probably try to do is again, look for cost savings and look for ways they can generate data while maintaining the perception of um, high touch customer service. Hmm. Kirk, what do you think about this this investigation of personless retail? What you- it's interesting. So I, I compare it with the way I shop here. I live in the UK. I live just outside of Stratford-upon-Avon. And our local supermarket is called Waitrose. They're a high-end supermarket chain. Um, we go there. We swipe our store code and we pick up a scanner. We walk through the store. We scan every item, put it in the shopping cart or the bag or whatever. And then we go out um, through a checkout thing where we scan a barcode on the checkout, um, press a couple of buttons, use a contactless payment, and we're out. So there's very little friction. We don't have to wait online. This isn't like a self-checkout. This is scanning as you're going, which is great because you can see how much you're spending. Um, You can check whether it's scanning at the right price. The scanner alerts you when there's a two-for-one or something like that. Um, All of this means that we go through quickly, yet it looks like 75% of people still wait online to check out. And either they're not technically savvy or they haven't figured it out or whatever. And you're never going to run out. You're never going to have a situation where you can't have customer support. Um, If we buy a bottle of wine, we have to have someone come Mm -hmm. over and check our ID. And there are some items that don't scan. So uh, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, what is the improvement here? It's maybe a bit quicker. Um, I don't see this as a convenience store thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would see this as here is um, when you're driving on a motorway, like a freeway, and you pull over and you want to get a snack, you go into a, a, a mini grocery store. And this is what I would see for that, um, that these these mini grocery stores are relatively small and you can buy pre-made sandwiches and salads yeah. and fruits and, mm-hmm. and a number of things. And you generally don't want to spend much time. That's your flying J, Lisa, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I would see that as making sense for that sort of purchase. But for a regular convenience store where you need at least one or two people, um, Lisa said earlier the question of whether you're going to knock over a convenience store. And it, it's, it's sad to say that um, in the village next to mine, there was a, a robbery um, early this week. Um, and it was just one guy. It's a small local convenience store. But you never need more than one person in a store like that. And you can never get to zero in this type of store right. unless it's inside a broader environment. Um, now, maybe this is the kind of thing that can be um, I've never been to a Disneyland, but I'm sure they have gift shops and stores where you can buy food. Maybe this is something that they can put inside a Disneyland where you're already filtered going in. Disney's got some some uh, parallel technology, as it were. They've been testing out magic bands, which are tied to your ticket and or your hotel room. Um, 
And if you are staying at a Disney property, for example, and you go through and you buy something in the gift store, all you have to do is hand over your room key. And the transaction's done that way. Um, it's and, and then the Magic Band also does the same thing, where it um, you can go get concessions with it, you can go to gift stores, and it all gets added to your account later, and then your credit card cards. Right, but you're already um, <laughs> in an environment where you've been validated, and yeah. you have whatever app or whatever identification you need. Whereas here, imagine you're walking down the street, you come across an Amazon store, you don't have the app. Um, you have to download the app before you can go inside. Yeah, and this assumes connectivity and... Um, you know, it comes it's it comes down to uh well and this is almost like the speaker thing where it's like do you really is is tying everything to the phone really that great an idea or is it kind of an intermediary technology? Um it's a great point about the alcohol sales. Um a counter argument might be and I and I and I'm I'm gonna caveat this heavily because I don't know the revenue breakdowns in convenience stores by um product category, but I could see where if you eliminate alcohol as a category at, at some types of these stores, then you do eliminate a little bit of a staffing problem. And more importantly, you could also position that as, well, we've noticed that the incidence of drunk driving in this rural area is really high. So we're cutting back on offering alcohol sales as part of public safety. Right. Um, Although the alcohol is probably one of the more profitable items at the store. But you could yeah, also tie, you could also work gas with... Gas sales are huge. I know that. Um, sometimes but, Amazon yeah. plays the long game, too, where they're thinking, look, what we're going to be able to do once this is all set up and running is go to state legislatures and say if we tie a valid id with a valid you know valid age to an amazon id we've electronically carded them and otherwise that an alert is sounded and they're not allowed out of the store change your law about carding now so the teenagers hang out outside hey would you buy me a bottle of wine they do that now so oh, i know it would be no I, we did that when i was young too although i will yeah. say that is a big assumption because in california at least they've recently changed the law for self-check out at supermarkets so that um, you used to be able to self-check out with alcohol and then somebody would come over and card you. And it's now illegal to buy alcohol through a self-checkout entirely illegal and that is a way to i think preserve grocery checker jobs against automation so um you know that i don't know my gut feeling about this amazon stuff is that amazon doesn't know what they're what they're doing with this that they're actually just <laughs> trying a bunch of technology out because they have it and because they want to see can. because they want to see what works and what doesn't work and my guess is that we will never see or at least I shouldn't say never, for a long time, a totally automated retail experience. But like you guys are already f- driving into the the niches where it's like, well, but maybe in this place or maybe for this kind of product type or something like that, that, that I can see. Or maybe it's all just about stocking, that we use these cameras to know what's flowing out of the store so we can change prices dynamically or and order more stock. we can negotiate stock. with resellers when we sell through Amazon grocery and delivery services. Right. Or we'll finally figure out uh, how to do this in, we'll put these cameras in your refrigerator and now all your groceries will just get delivered to you because we'll know exactly what's in your fridge and when that sour cream oh, is going that's out of date. Such creepy technology. There's lots of right, but I don't. I'm not sure they've got some master end game here as much as that they're really curious about all all of this stuff and about the behavior of the people who are using it. So I was reading this really interesting article um, last night in a trade publication aimed at, cons- at convenience stores. Um, 
we don't need to get into why or how I was reading it, but <laughs> but the but the article in question was actually about how one of the biggest challenges convenience store chains are facing is a rising tide of community-based legislation. Everything from trying to restrict tobacco sales to trying to tax soda sales. And this has put convenience stores in a really tricky spot because on the one hand, tobacco makes them a lot of money. On the other hand, you don't want to lose the goodwill of the community that you're depending on for your sales because um if if you're like, no, no, we need to keep selling cigarettes and we're never, ever going to ID, um, the next thing you know, you get very angry PTA parents who are leading a campaign and there's picketing and or word of mouth that says, oh, this store is terrible and you go out of business, right? Again, I really could see Amazon going to both, as, as uh, Kirk said, state legislatures and um, convenience stores and saying, look, we have this frictionless thing. We're not going to get into hot button categories like tobacco or like alcohol. We are are going to offer you a safe, friendly, clean, surveilled environment. And that's a really alluring value proposition, especially to suburbs that might like raise the alarm at a 7-Eleven, but still recognize the revenue that could come from a family-friendly, um, aspirational convenience store type of thing. So, so there's, well, there's that a, thing. There's one more item that they sell that's high profit, and I can't see this being, while it, it is while it can be automated in some ways, um, I think it would be a problem. That's lottery tickets. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good they, point, They too. require someone to be present. Now, here I can buy a lottery ticket with an app. I don't know what it's like in the various states in the U.S. No, I don't. I, I would not be surprised if apps will come eventually. But um, but the thing is, if you look at Amazon, um, there was also another really interesting article yesterday about how um, Costco has a membership problem in that its membership is is older older on average than the US population they're not making a lot of inroads with adults who are like under age 35 um and one of the reasons that people keep citing, which somehow keeps getting poo-pooed, is people like, I do not have the time. I do not have the time to go into a parking lot that doubles as a death cage match and then go through these crowded aisles and stack up my cart and then wait in line for 20 minutes and then fight my way through the crowds back outside, get back across the death parking lot again, then go home and and put, find someplace to put all this stuff. It is easier for me to set up subscribe and save on Amazon and just have this stuff drop to my door. So, you know, I'm not sure Amazon necessarily set out to challenge big box stores, but what they have done is they made convenience a premium. And so if they can find a way to sell the technology stack to other retailers and let that remain their headache, but um, sell a convenience proposition to people, this is how it'll thrive, I think. Well, we will see. We will keep our eye on Amazon. It is its ways are mysterious, uh, but <laughs> we will we will see what it, what is going on. It's fascinating stuff that Amazon is doing. Um, I was listening to a podcast yesterday where they said they they referred to the tech giant, the three tech giants, and they were Apple, Google, and Amazon. And I thought, really, it's come to that, has it? But I guess especially when you're talking about smart assistants and all that, this has been Amazon. Amazon's Fire Phone thing didn't work right, but the but the Echo worked. And they're using that as the wedge to drive into people's lives and and uh, technology ecosystems. Fascinating to watch. Uh, the richest man in the world is now Jeff Bezos, by the way. Well, don't forget that Amazon's big profit center is Amazon Web Services. Yeah, absolutely. It's the thing that consumers don't see. Exactly. Yeah, no, it drives almost it drives like almost eighty percent of its revenue somewhere around there. It's like a crazy high number. I was going to mention this is totally tangential, but you know we are so far down the tangent. Well, now it's fine. Um, <laughs> AWS, Amazon Web Services, was a like a headline sponsor, like read by the announcers during the 
uh, uh, NFL championship games last weekend. I and, saw that. And, and I was what, fascinated and, by that. And it, it is fascinating because that's one of those things like, why do you do that? And I think the answer is, and, and being in the Bay Area, I see this too, where there's some like incredibly weird, obscure tech things that get on billboards or are sports sponsorships. And the reason is twofold, I think. One is you're hoping that a CTO is watching the football game. But I think I, my gut feeling is it makes the CEOs and the accountants and the CFOs who are watching the football game when their CTO comes to them three months later and says, well, we want to do this on AWS. They're like, oh, I've heard of that. That was on the, yeah, okay, it's fine. And like, it's the legitimacy of of it because of all the things to advertise Amazon Web Services during a football game, but they did it. It's fascinating. Amazon, again, their ways are mysterious. Um, let me take us through the story you might have missed, something that may have flown under your radar, but is worth at least mentioning in passing. Alphabet's research lab, this is the Google X projects. Uh, it's done some wacky things over the years, killer robots. Well, okay, allegedly killer robots. No, nobody's alleging that they, they've killed anybody yet. It's only a matter of time. Anyway, the latest product to graduate from research, research status to reality is something called Chronicle, which uses machine learning to keep hackers out of systems and detect security vulnerabilities in software. How Chronicle cybersecurity software is, being kept, is, is used as being kept a secret? But its founders claim it can reduce cybercrime and keep the systems of everything from big retailers to banks more secure from attacks by being able to ingest and analyze security alerts and threats far more efficiently than puny humans ever could. Which, it's kind of an interesting idea that, like, cybersecurity is an area where there's so much information that maybe the best way to process it is to diagnose it by sending that fire hose of information to something that's been trained up as, via machine learning. So, it's an interesting idea unexpected too because i i think uh software developments from the the google x the alphabet research lab were not expected to be what we would be seeing we thought we might see more hardware and like i said robots um, but fascinating so machine learning for cybersecurity mm-hmm. is the spinoff from google the next alphabet spinoff um we're gonna uh skip ahead to our fuzzy puppy update before we go we talked a long <laughs> time about apple and amazon it was a good conversation um my fuzzy puppy update i i picked this week i follow a woman named rachel binks on twitter she is a data viz person who has worked at nasa she currently works at netflix um and she has a bird which if you follow her on Twitter, you know she has bird. Um, and this is just a trend that I find fascinating, which is birds watching w- with their people, watching videos of other birds on YouTube and then mimicking the famous YouTube birds themselves. And what's funnier is then they post videos, their owners post videos of those birds and other birds watch those videos. And what I'm saying is we're not the only creatures on planet earth who do viral videos. People, the birds are watching. watching. (laughs) It's really adorable to see like one bird doing kind of these noises and honking. And then you see another bird and they're, they've totally just learned it. And what Rachel's tweet is, is I'm laughing at these videos, but my bird is also very carefully watching these videos. So Mm -hmm. that bird is next. Uh, amazing uh what a world we live in where birds watch viral videos anyway uh next week uh we'll be back and Stephen hackett will be questioning himself for pre-ordering a home pod probably 
<laughs> well, I might second guess mine next week. All right, that's so fair. I might, I oh, might too. Are you buying one? Oh, wow. Well, I mean. Well, I, I, I am planning to buy one because I write about this stuff. Yeah, uh, I, I probably point. am yeah, too for the same to reason. That. It's not really a, we're not really a good mm. market analysis here, right? It's no. A little bit I, I, I'll be your, I'll be, I'll be your holdout. How about that? <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that brings us to the end of this edition of Download. Uh, Kirk, where can people find the stuff that you do? You can find my, you can find me on my website, Kirkville. It's at Kirkville.com. And you can check out my music podcast, The Next Track, where we talk about how people listen to music today at thenexttrack.com. Yeah, really interesting podcast. If you are interested in, in the HomePod discussion, you should definitely give that a listen. Um, Lisa, where can people find the stuff you do? I would just start with Twitter, where I tend to link to the things that I do. So that's uh, at Elschmeiser, spelled L-S-C-H-M-E-I-S-E-R. And uh, Stephen Hackett, thanks very much to him for putting the show together as always. I have been your host, Jason Snell. And until next week, Stephen and I will be watching the headlines so you don't have to. Goodbye, everybody. 